Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlewood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange... The bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. We were so excited to have a boo effect. Oh, we did. It was really strange. We had recorded an episode of A Shallow End with Schneebly and Toth, and he was doing, Lindsay was doing a story about Newport uh, in, the, in the UK, a town called Newport. And then we go to the uh, post office box. It's a UPS box, but uh, we went there to pick up our mail, and we have a package from Newport. From Newport. That's weird. Yes. Uh, thank you so much, Peter. We got this incredible package with so much stuff in it, and it's like it's a treasure trove. There are 3D glasses and things to be viewed in 3D, including this really cool photo book, which I am enjoying very much. Then there's this packet called Conspiracy Theories Are Fun. This one's titled Elephants Don't Exist. <laughs> <laughs> this one is Conical Earth Theory. Conical Earth Theory. Oh, this one's big. Hold on. Baby carrots aren't real. I've said that for years. I've been told that baby carrots are normal-sized carrots that are whittled down in size <laughs> or reconstituted smaller. But what if they're just normal-sized carrots just further away. <laughs> that is hilarious. Yeah, there are some really unbelievable conspiracy theories out there on the interwebbles. Um, and it's amazing to me that as an adult, a person can fall for some of this stuff. Or anybody, regardless of age. Do you remember uh, about a year ago, TikTok was on fire with that conspiracy that Helen Keller never existed? Yes. We yeah, talk, yeah, yeah. talked a little bit about that. Yeah. Helen Keller isn't real or wasn't real. I don't understand what the benefit of that would be. The theory was that she couldn't possibly exist. I'm here to say that she did. I know that's controversial. Oh, my goodness. Taking a stand. Yeah. Others say that she did exist, but because she was blind and deaf... Uh, she couldn't possibly have written those books. Oh, and when you factor in that she was a woman. Oh, well. You know, in those days and she was blind and deaf, there's no way she could have uh, accomplished the things that that she did. No, it must have been a man. As we know, at the age of 19 months, 
Helen Keller was left blind, deaf, and mute. These challenges didn't stop her, though, from achieving great successes in her life. Her teacher, Ann Sullivan, helped her to be able to effectively communicate with the world. Keller became an advocate for disability rights, which is a lot for a person who doesn't exist. But I did a little digging on this, and the whole Helen Keller isn't real thing started as a joke. But apparently, that was lost on a lot of people, and they they couldn't believe that a blind and deaf woman could write books. Yeah, I feel like a lot of what's said on the internet, I, I really can't tell if it's a joke or not. I know, I know. Now, not only did she write books, but, oh my God, she had an education from Radcliffe. That couldn't possibly be real. And in fairness, even in her day, she faced a significant amount of skepticism. There were people that uh, that knew of her when she was alive that said, no, nah, this can't be real. She can't possibly do these things. Because she accomplished so much with so many disadvantages that people, they questioned her. Is she really blind? Is she really deaf? Is she really mute? And if so, how could she possibly accomplish all the things that she had accomplished? But as controversial as it may seem for me to say, uh, Helen Keller was in fact real. And not only... Cite your sources, sir. (laughs) Not only did she accomplish the aforementioned things, but did you know that Helen Keller actually flew an airplane? No. Yes, that is a fact. Helen Keller became internationally famous and incredibly popular, both domestically and internationally in the press. Consequently, she was asked to appear at various engagements over Mm -hmm. the years. She had uh, a tour of sorts. Many of these places that she would go and make appearances at were outside the country. In 1919, a biographical film came out about Keller called Deliverance, and they sent her on a... uh, I think that was a different movie. (laughs) No, no, this was... Yeah, it was a different movie, but it it was still called Deliverance. Oh, okay. They sent her on a press tour in 1919... She flew in a plane for the first time. And and keep in mind, the first successful flight by Wilbur and Orville Wright was December 17th, 1903. So just 16 years after Wilbur and Orville puttered their way down the hill in Kitty Hawk, eh, Helen Keller was in a plane flying around. No big deal. Now, of course, this was as a passenger, but she loved it. And over the years, she had many more opportunities to fly because of her popularity, and she eagerly looked forward to each and every one of them. Uh, She often talked about her love for the experience. She once said that a plane was, quote, a great graceful bird sailing through the illimitable skies. She would often talk about her love for flight in correspondence with her friends. There are many letters out there where she talks a lot about how much she loved to fly. And it wasn't long before she started dreaming of flying a plane herself. Now, do you think that the affection for flight has something to do with, you know, her senses? There are a certain number of senses that are limited Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. for Helen Keller. So that must be a flurry of sensations that you're maybe not getting from other places where normally you would be. No, I think you're really hitting the nail on the head here. The fact that she could feel, you know, the yawing of the aircraft and the ups and downs and the, you know, and the smoothness and gracefulness of of a banking curve. She often talked about this with her companion, Miss Polly Thompson, 
uh, and her desires to fly airplanes, she would, she would discuss with her. In 1946, she got her chance. She was on another tour of Europe helping to promote the cause of helping people with blindness. She was on a flight from Rome to Paris uh. when she was handed the controls of a Douglas Skymaster. <sighs> Keller flew the Douglas Skymaster for about 20 minutes over the Mediterranean Sea. So cool. Now, this was a Douglas DC-4 aircraft. It wasn't a small plane. I don't know what that means. It was a passenger plane, a four-engine propeller-driven airliner developed by Douglas Aircraft Company. It was a popular passenger airliner right up until the early 60s. It carried a crew of six and up to 42 passengers. Pan Am Airways used them, National Airlines, Northwest, Western Airlines, all the major airlines of the day uh, used this particular aircraft. I'm sorry, I have questions. So were there there were other passengers on this flight? And did they know that a blind woman was flying them? You know, that's exactly what I was thinking, too, and it, it's unclear. Oh, okay. Um, nowhere does it say that they were sporting a full passenger list, or even if there were passengers on the plane. Could have been they just chartered it for her, okay. and it was. But there could have been, and I, and I thought about that. What if somebody stumbled into the cockpit? You know, because in those days you could just go up there and sit down and talk to the pilot, right? Smoking. Uh, yeah. And what if somebody just kind of stumbled in there and, oh my God, is that Helen Keller flying our aircraft into Paris? <laughs> So they're out there over the Mediterranean on their way to Paris from Rome. And the captain was like, hey, Helen, uh, you want to fly this plane for a while? And he hands her the controls. Of course, this was all translated through her uh, companion, Polly Thompson. And Polly Thompson helped guide Helen with instructions that were given to Ms. Thompson by the pilot. So the pilot would say, "Okay, have her do this. Mm -hmm. And Polly would she used hand talk. Mm -hmm. You know, where they would she would sign into uh, Helen's hand. So the pilot would tell Polly Thompson what he wanted Helen to do. And she would do that. And Helen would uh, respond with the proper actions. And the crew was amazed at how well she flew the plane. They were very impressed with what they termed her light touch on the controls in particular. In a newspaper article from that time in the Glasgow Bulletin, Thompson was quoted as saying, there was no shaking or vibration. She just sat there and flew the plane calmly and steadily. The crew thought she was a natural pilot. They observed that it almost seemed like the plane was an extension of her. Wow. Well, she's got to be incredible with her hands, right? I mean, it's got to, yeah. there's got to be like an almost otherworldly ability to to sense, sense the motion of the yes. plane and make natural corrections. Keller herself, after the flight, said, quote, it was wonderful to feel the delicate movement of the aircraft through the controls. And I do wonder if that light touch that was mentioned by the crew, as well as uh, the plane appearing to be an extension of Helen Keller and her natural pilot ability had something to do with the fact that she was blind and deaf and that she had a heightened sense of touch and yeah. movement. Interestingly, Keller's not the only blind and deaf person to fly a plane. You might remember this. This wasn't that long ago. It was, I think, 2012. A 15-year-old named Katie Inman. She also used tactical sign language, or as Keller called it, hand talk, uh, to pilot a plane in St. Augustine, Florida. Oh, wow. She flew the plane around the St. Augustine airport after they turned the controls over to her, and uh, she made several turns around the airport People in the plane were describing to her what she was flying over. 
And then the pilot, I think, wisely took the controls to land the plane. For the landing, yeah, yeah. Katie said it was fun. Quote, I still wanted to go higher. Maybe next time I'll do some tricks. <laughs> My information came from the Vintage News, Augustine.com and Wikipedia. So cool. I knew Helen Keller had accomplished a lot of things, obviously, but flying an airplane was a bit of a surprise. <laughs> She's so rad. And real. Surprisingly, she is real, but the uh, DC-4 Douglas Skymaster is not. Oh, wow. Yeah, I wasn't expecting that twist. <laughs> the Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some Fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores, and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? <sighs> Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids, and they live about 3,000 miles away, and my daughter is expecting a child, and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life... Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout, and you will save. Thanks, Aura Frames, for bringing my family a little bit closer. And now, that thing in the middle. 
Back in the 1800s, composer Franz Liszt was worshipped like a rock star. In fact, he received so many requests for locks of his hair that he eventually bought a dog just to snip off patches of its fur to send to his admirers. We got a message from Audra on Instagram. I mean this in the best way, but you guys have broken my brain. While I was listening to another podcast episode about Ouija boards, they kept saying the word phenomena. Can you guess (laughs) what I did the entire episode every time they said the word? Love you guys. Phenomena. This email came in right before our recording session today from Kathy. I was just doing some catch-up listening and was reminded of a story that a friend of mine told me years ago when she was working in a rehabilitation center. She asked one of her patients who was a paraplegic and confined to a wheelchair if he had a good week. And he went on to tell her that he had an unexpected trip to the ER. Oh no. Oh my, whatever for, my friend asked. His unlikely and hilarious answer was, quote, to have a toothbrush removed from my rectum. Oh. She was surprised, may I say shocked, since his physical condition seemed problematic. His reply, oh my dear, everyone has friends. (laughs) (laughs) That is beautiful. So I'm listening to Box 459. This is a message from Laura on Facebook. And I feel like I should tell you this story. When I was little, my parents had a very good friend who was married to a woman from Poland. They have several funny stories about her translating things, like going to the drugstore to get some nail varnish and being (laughs) very upset because she wanted something American and everything she found said it was Polish. (laughs) Fingernail Polish. (laughs) Anyway... They were friends with her and her husband in the late 70s, basically 1976 and maybe 1979 when the husband passed away and they lost track of her. Incidentally, this was just outside of Washington, D.C. Somewhere in that time window, this woman got a phone call, or was it a letter, that she was convinced was instigated by my dad. Because seriously, why would the White House be contacting her? Here's the thing, though. It wasn't my dad. It actually was the White House, and they wound up being invited to the White House for dinner. Now, I was very young at the time, and I don't remember the whole story, but I do know that somehow it wound up that she was a translator. It makes me kind of wonder. Do you wonder what happened to the translator who told Poland that Jimmy Carter found them sexually attractive? No. (laughs) No. No, it wasn't her. Oh, okay. All right. (laughs) Thanks so much, Laura. And this was a uh, review left on iTunes. Um, the, the headline caught my attention. This podcast could save your life. Five oh. stars. In a crazy boo effect, cat covered alpha gal. I had just told my coworkers about my reaction to red meat. I've avoided beef for several years due to my reaction. Grew up across the street from a dairy farm and on the edge of miles of forest. That equals daily tick bites, I did not know that there was a name for what I had. Though the doc did confirm what was happening to me was tick-related, but did not have a name for it. I had no idea it would or could get worse, or that there were groups out there for support. Huge thank you to the Box of Oddities Amazing. for this podcast episode. It may have saved me from life-threatening reactions. 
Now I know to be more careful and do some more research. That's amazing. So cool. Learning is fun, guys. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Here at the Box of Oddities, we strive to always forgive and forget and never hold any grudges. Unless, you know, you really fucked us over. This is the Box of Oddities. What's on the docket for Cat Walls? Where is my phone holdy uppy stand? I have no idea. I need it. I <laughs> hate that I have to hold it the whole time. It's still packed probably with the air fryer. I believe in you. <laughs> so you know it. We know it. We all know it. The 18th century in this part of the world was rough. Surviving childhood is expected these days, but that has not always been the case. Oh, that's right. In 1900, 30% of all deaths in the United States occurred in children less than five years of age. 30? 30. 30%? Yeah, that compares to just 1.4% in 1999. That's a huge mortality rate. It was horrific. And some parents, like Theodosia Bartow and her husband, Aaron Burr, lost multiple children. Aaron Burr. One did survive to adulthood, though. Theodosia. The adult Theodosia, Bartow, was independent and a feminist and named her daughter after herself, which is totally rad. <laughs> she also believed that her daughter, who Aaron Burr called Theo, should be well-educated as well as any wealthy male child should have been. So, little Theo could read and write at three. She studied Latin, Greek, and French, and had read Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire by the age of 10. Yeah, that's not real. When Aaron Burr would travel, Theo, or Little Miss Pris as he called her, would miss him terribly and would write him constantly. The letters to her father were responded to promptly with the inclusion of detailed criticism of her writing. <laughs> Their correspondence numbered in the thousands. Wow. But mom had grown more and more ill 
and after many years of suffering, died likely of cancer when Theo was only 11. After Theodosia's death, Burr wrote, The mother of my Theo was the best woman and finest lady I had ever known. And he became even more invested in Theo and her education, receiving the best education available to any man, and she was widely acknowledged for her intelligence and sophistication. Both father and daughter were devoted to each other. She once wrote to him, You appear to me so superior, so elevated above all other men. Which must have been rough for the man she eventually married. His <laughs> name was Joseph Alston, and Theo married Joseph on February 2nd, 1801, in Albany. Joseph, you've got a lot to live up to. Right? They honeymooned in Niagara Falls, and they were the first recorded couple to do so, which really started Whoa. a huge trend. Little more than a month after their marriage, Thomas Jefferson was the first president to be inaugurated in the new capital of Washington, D.C., and her father was sworn in as vice president of the United States. Later that year, Theo was severely injured during a traumatic birth of her son, Aaron Burr Alston, and she had a prolapsed uterus that left her in immense pain. This combined with the isolation of life on a South Carolina plantation left her in a pretty bad place physically and emotionally. She went to spend some time in New York with her father, and that became kind of a regular thing. And for a few years, about half her time was spent away from her family in South Carolina in New York with her dad, the vice president. This did cause a stir, and the very judgmental people of that time thought it was weird, and they talked about it at length. Gossiping was considered a sport back then. Well, Aaron Burr was also a topic of conversation anyway. His marriage to Theodosia, the mother, um, was initially very scandalized because they started dating before her first husband died. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So he was pretty regularly a topic of conversation. And so this was just another thing. On July 10, 1804, Aaron Burr sat down at his desk and he wrote a letter of goodbye to Theodosia. I am indebted to you, my dearest Theodosia, for a very great portion of the happiness I've enjoyed in this life. You have completely satisfied all that my heart and affections had hoped for or even wished. It was a goodbye letter just in case he didn't survive the next day. Dual day. Dual day. As you probably know, this duel against Alexander Hamilton was the culmination of a bitter rivalry that had developed between the two. Both men had been involved in duels in the past, but the practice was really starting to die out and had become illegal in some places. Many historians have considered the cause of the duel to be flimsy and thus <laughs> characterized Hamilton as suicidal and Burr as malicious and murderous, or both. Though there are those who claim that the arguments between them really came to a head when Aaron became incensed by a comment Hamilton made about, quote, still more despicable acts. And some believe that that was referring to Aaron and Theodosia's morbid affection for each other, alluding to an incestuous relationship. Wow. Wow. So the next day, though the details are debated to this day, we all know how it ended, Burr shot and mortally wounded Hamilton, who was then taken back to New York, and he died about a day or so later. Now, he thought 
and I'm sure he wouldn't have gone into the duel if he didn't think this was the case, that he was going to be like lauded as a hero when he returned to New York. That's off in the way, isn't it? Because Booth thought the same thing after yeah. he shot Lincoln. Right. But instead, he was maligned mm -hmm. and people were pissed. There was a public outcry. So now Aaron Burr is facing potential murder charges. So he flees to the South and eventually, with the help of some powerful friends, got the charges dropped and he returned to Washington to finish his term as vice president. After that, the family decided they were going to start a new country. They planned that Aaron Burr would become the emperor of that country and Theodosia would secede him as empress. Wow. That's a fucking plan. But the plot was found out and Burr was taken into custody. In 1807, he was tried for treason but acquitted. So after that event, Aaron Burr went to in self-imposed European exile for four years. He thought, I'm going to get away from this. It's all the hubbub and the treason business. Blah, blah, blah. So um, I'm going to tootle out and I'll be back later. Now, father and daughter, as we've discussed, were very close. So you can understand why it was so hard for them to be apart. And Theo's health deteriorated further. She wrote to a doctor about hysteric fits, various colors and flashes of light before her eyes, figures passing around her bed, Ooh. strange noises, low spirits, and worse. And she missed her father immensely. What indeed, she wrote to him, would I not risk once more to see him, to hang upon him, to place my child upon his knee, and spend my days in the happy occupation of endeavoring to anticipate his wishes. Yeah, she had a way with words. She did. Sadly, in 1812, Theodosia's beloved son died of malaria in South Carolina. Once again, exiting childhood was not common. I mean, in the growing out of it way. <laughs> right, in, in the right. death way. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty common. That was pretty common. Sorry. There is no more joy for me, she wrote. The world is blank. I have lost my boy. But when her father returned to New York, a glimmer, she would travel to see him. She had to wait until she was well enough to. She had slumped into a deep, dark depression, and she wasn't able to travel for months because she was so unwell. But eventually, she wanted to go to New York. Theo's husband, Fairley, was very worried about his ill, frail wife making this treacherous trip to New York. So Aaron Burr sent his friend, Dr. Timothy Green, to secure a boat and make sure that Theodosia made it up to New York and home to him. And so, on December 31st, 1812, Theo boarded the schooner Patriot from Georgetown, South Carolina. The Patriot was a famously fast ship. It had just returned from several months in the West Indies privateering raids for the U.S. while its booty was in its holds. And in order to disguise the ship's true identity, the captain stowed the guns below and painted over the ship's name on the bow so that um, they were traveling on the Patriot, but not publicly. The sailors lifted Patriot's anchor in late afternoon, and the captain set a course for New York. Theodosia, the Patriot, and everyone on board was never seen again. What? Why have I not heard this? Wild, right? And with this kind of travel in this period, how heart-wrenching must it have been to days go by? Okay, that's normal. 
weeks go by. Right, right. Multiple weeks go by and you hear nothing from yeah. your your wife, yeah. from your daughter. Like it's terrifying. If you're just a few minutes late coming back from the grocery store, I'm checking find a friend. Yeah, no, I check in on you all the time. You're always at Barnes and Noble. <laughs> I pretty much can just bet on it. Yeah. Or Best Buy, to be fair. Those are both happy places for me. <laughs> Within weeks of the Patriots' disappearance, rumors about Theodosius' fate began to spread. Numerous deathbed confessions by people who claimed to have been part of the demise of the Patriot were reported. And another theory is that the Patriot fell victim to some sort of military action. Now, at this time, the War of 1812 was still going on. So that's not cool because, you know, war. Good God, y'all. What is it good for? Absolutely nothing. Say it again. So perhaps the passenger ship was mistaken for a war vessel, but tales include everything from um, her being held and uh, asking pirates to uh, be able to change before she was forced to walk the plank, to her putting her wedding ring in a bottle thrown into the sea, to her being found in possession of a gold locket inscribed with her name and giving it to an Indian chief who she ended up marrying. I mean, there's a lot of rumors out there. One story, which is considered somewhat plausible, was that the Patriot had fallen prey to the wreckers known as the Carolina Bankers, who operated near Nag's Head. They would trick ships into running ashore and then pillage them. Yeah, on the, on the sandbars. I remember reading something about that. Other stories claim that she had been held in Texas, taken as a pirate's mistress to Bermuda, or that she had killed herself in resisting the advances of a pirate. Another story involves a doctor named William Poole from Elizabeth City, North Carolina. He was vacationing in Nag's Head in 1869, and he provided medical assistance to an older woman. She paid him with an oil painting that was later determined to be of Theodosia, which supports the theory that there had been a shipwreck and that the items on the ship, this painting, for example, that she was bringing as a gift for her father had been lost at sea. According to the ailing woman, her husband had found the portrait on a beached shipwreck outside the banks of North Carolina during the English War. The painting absolutely resembles Theodosia, and legends state that she had brought it on board. But as far as we know, that's a best guess. No one knows what happened to Theodosia Burr Alston or the fate of the Patriot. What an incredible story. How, how have I not heard this? I don't know. I hadn't either. I was just going through a list of celebrities who had disappeared and no one knows what happened to them. And up came this historical figure and I had no idea. I got most of my information from the National Library of Medicine, Historic Mysteries, the Library of Congress, History.com, and Atlas Obscura. Oh, and Wikipedia. <laughs> Now I've got the soundtrack of Hamilton in my head. I'm not going to give up my shot. Dear Theodosia is one of the songs in Hamilton. When Hamilton's singing to his new son, Philip, Aaron Burr in that scene is singing to his daughter, Theodosia. that's, That's what I thought. 
Hamilton, the musical, really inspired us. Somebody had written to us about a, a topic that we did about Phineas Gage, mm. the guy who uh, was working on a railroad and dynamite shot a, an iron rod right through his head, mm. and then he lived, and somebody said that would make a great musical, and we used Hamilton as inspiration. Mm. You ran with that idea, and you, you made it. You, you did it. Here, here it is now. Oh, you're going to play it. 1848. Vermont. Pardon me, you Phineas Gage, sir. That depends. Who's asking? Oh, well, sure, sir. I'd like to ask a question, because I'm curious, sir. I have been looking for you. I'm getting nervous. Sir, I had some tools, and since then, I lent several to a fellow. He returned them bloody, but I never got some back. And when I inquired, he says you have them. It's a blur, sir. That head wound looks substantial. It's much worse, sir. Yes, and now I'm looking closer. And apologies if I'm disrespectful. You're standing upright and you're walking and you're talking. So how'd you do it? With a crowbar in your head. Okay. Yeah. No, I'm proud of you Thank and you. your artistic Thank you so much. endeavors. Uh-huh. Yeah. I think that you're swell. Actually, I'm swollen. The humidity, uh, <laughs> water retention. It's just really <laughs> uncomfortable here today. We love you guys. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. If you want to go to our website, check out our merch, by the way. We haven't uh, talked about that for a while. Uh, you can you can find it at our website, theboxofoddities.com. Recently had a flurry of sales of the I Hope Bill Murray's Having a Great Day t-shirt, mm-hmm. as well as the Eat a Bag of Dicks design. Just the thing for your fall and winter wardrobe. Theboxofoddities.com. We'll see you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. The box of oddities commits to the telling of stories, stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com On Facebook at Facebook.com slash Box of Oddities Podcast On Twitter at Box of Oddities And Instagram at Box of Oddities Podcast Copyright 2022 All rights reserved Hello everyone, Stakuyi here And I'm Gabby And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist, and we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts.